Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show. I am indeed your host, Chase Jarvis. Welcome to my show here on Creative Live. This is where I have the great privilege of sitting down with many of the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders with the vision, the mission of unpacking actionable and valuable insights. And of course, helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest on this show is drum roll. I don't know if we have a drum roll sound effect. My guest today is Neil Strauss. And if you're saying right now, is this the Neil Strauss, the New York Times, the seven times New York Times bestselling author, Neil Strauss? That's what I say. Yes, it is. I'm, I actually asked Neil in this interview how many books he had written, and he literally didn't remember. He's like, um, I don't actually remember. I know he has seven on the New York Times bestseller list. Doesn't even know how, how doesn't remember how many books he's written. I first came into contact with him not as a a journalist. He was a, a a rock and roll journalist. He worked for all of those magazines. He was a music critic, a cultural reporter um, for Rolling Stones in principle, but also the New York Times and a bunch of other of those top leading magazines. I didn't know him um, deeply, know his work deeply through that. I first really. Um, came into contact with his work around when he released a book called The Game. And what The Game was, was this weird... Now, I've been married for a long time. Uh, Kate and I actually talked about this because I wanted to read this book. This book is about... It's about the secret society of pickup artists. And it ended up being this weird, freakishly sort of manifesto thing for how to pick up the opposite sex. Um, it was written, of course, from Neil's point of view as a very first-person narrative around picking up women. Um, but he talks a lot in this interview and at large about n- not being gifted, being really sort of awkward and goofy. And in part, that's why the book was incredibly successful. I don't know how many millions of books it sold, but that put him on the international scene. And it was after I discovered that and I really started uncovering uh, a lot of his earlier work. He and I, uh, I think we met um, we met at, at a, an event that Tim Ferriss, our mutual friend, threw. And we were acquaintances at that point and have been for a couple of years now. But it was the answer. People have asked me who the person I was most surprised or most impressed by in my 30 days of genius interviews. And I answer that question with the words Neil Strauss. And I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was the expectation that I was going in because I really I've known Neil. I knew him around stuff about the game, but it was I feel like. It just this this interview just delivers, you know, cool addition to the bits I've already shared about Neil is so his background is with the, the you know rock and roll and the fast lifestyle. And then that book, the game, and then he goes and releases like a badass, a book called The Truth, which is him basically. I don't know if it's you could call it a disavowal, but it's him seeing an entirely different light, finding the woman of his dreams and falling deeply in love and then doing a whole lot of therapy and then writing about it. So if any of that interests you, you are going to love this episode. We also talk a lot about vulnerability. You can see that embedded in that topic right there. But what he does, and again, this is maybe why I, I was most surprised that we, we quote, went there. Um, and why I think this is one of the most powerful interviews that I've ever done is 
he talks a lot like Brene Brown about going and sharing the most important or the stuff that's most awkward and fear driven for you is probably the stuff that you need to be sharing the most because you're feeling it. Other people are going to connect with that vibe. And so his his this bit is very much about how to connect as a human, how to tap into creative genius, how to tap into who you are and help that who you are be a, an amazing connective tissue with other people who are trying to find that out for themselves. Uh, we talk about the inner critic. We talk about how to quiet that inner critic for all of you writers and artists and entrepreneurs out there. He does a, he has a really great take, actually. It's about the the inner critic isn't actually you. Um, I won't give it away. You'll need to l- listen to the episode for that one. And ultimately, I feel like there's a bunch of fear in this episode. Fear with the capital F, f- fear with the small f, fear with the PH. <laughs> I, I think this is a phenomenal episode. I don't want to riff anymore about Neil. Um, I don't want to give it away. It's a fantastic episode. I know you will love it. Um, please give a shout out to Neil on the socials. Uh, tell me what you'd like to hear differently, better on this episode. And without further ado, let's get into that there show. But before we do, actually, definitely, 100% a word from our sponsor because it's important. Yo. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world more than two billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform so you know that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind creative live but here's the why which i think is so critical creative live exists to help you live your dreams in career hobby and life in short i started creative live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a a big need in the world we wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers live new dreams take the leap if you will into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience the top experts it's all shot with 48 cameras all in hd beautifully presented and accessible on desktop tablet mobile you know i stand for quality and that's what creative live uh, puts out to that end i have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on creative live and i'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com hustle just for you 
this community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now let's get into the show. Neil, thank you so much for being on the show. Grateful for your time today. Uh, We've been in the same friend circle for some time. We actually haven't sat down like across from one another like this before. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. You got it, yeah. Um, So I introduced you uh, in, first of all, you can't ever lose track of how many best-selling books you've written. Right. You got to keep that on, okay? You got to know that. Second of all. You know know what? Because I'm always thinking about the next thing, not about where I've been. Right, I'm always thinking, okay, what is the tweetable. next thing Right? <laughs> the first yeah. tweets to come out happened in the first five seconds, no. Um, no actually, uh, let's, let's go there. I think that's um, a very, uh, I'm, 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 there's a way that can be a double-edged sword though, Okay. right? You're, you're thinking about the next thing, right. but uh, does that mean you're not maximizing the thing that just happened? Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what you should be doing. I remember uh, as, when I was done with The Truth, I was talking to a friend who's kind of a mentor. He's like, you're done, move on to the next project. You're, you're done because I really think in this world, you can spend your whole life maximizing something, right? Mm. And, uh, and really, how much control do you really have over it anyway? There are people with the best laid marketing campaigns that still don't do something. So you could spend a year marketing it, or you could spend a year just making the next awesome project. You, you still wanna serve it. For sure. But at what point is it time to serve the art? Well, I think that's a good thing for us to touch base on a little bit later. In sure. the meantime, I knew you from the game. Right incredibly prolific, six or eight books. Uh, I think the, the folks that I know or know you the best in our friend circle, it's very much journalism that they think of you around, not right. just your time at the uh, time at the Times, um, but also, of course, Rolling Stone, uh, and then the latest best-selling book. But how do you think of yourself? How do you describe yourself? Um, and I think about this because words matter and, right. uh, and I know that we're all becoming a bunch of hyphens. I call right. myself I'm a photographer, a director, an entrepreneur. I'm getting tired of it. How do you describe yourself? I mean, I'm, if I had to say like one thing, maybe it would be a storyteller. I just like to tell really great, compelling stories that if it's a book, you can't put it down. If it's a movie or a TV show, you can't turn it off. So to me, it's the art of storytelling, which I think is probably one of the oldest human art forms there is. Yeah, at caveman times, right. like sitting around the fire, and even like that's what cave paintings are, right? Yeah. There's scratching out a story. And I always encourage people, and this is probably true for, for people listening right now, that people love to read nonfiction. They want to get a book that's going to tell them what to do and a bulleted list of what they should, are supposed to do. But I really believe that the mind learns through metaphor, right? That storytelling is to learn how you learn the rules of your tribe or your culture or the world or about being a human being you learn through metaphor, and I really think we undervalue storytelling in this like quick fix culture. Ooh, but the flip side of uh, storytelling uh, of the quick fix is that the folks who actually are great storytellers, they have our attention. Right. In a world that's so noisy and quick fixy, exactly. if you can actually tell a story with uh, an arc and a beginning, middle, and an end, it's compelling in a new and different way, especially now that it's democratized. Yeah. You know, we have access to this stuff. 
so talk more That's about that. That's a great power. point. Yeah, look at serial and making of a murder. You could read a short, you know, you could read a Wikipedia entry or you could really enjoy the story and all its nuances. And did you enjoy that? Like I, I was, it was so, uh, what is it called when you get pulled in, you can't leave? Right, right, Yeah, right. I'm very worried about things like that. The only yeah. thing I really allowed myself to go deep in is House right. of Cards. Yeah. But uh, my wife, like, serial, boom, gone. They didn't see her for days. Right, right. Were you, do you get sucked in by that stuff as a storyteller yourself? Oh, yeah, it's, no, I, I love watching it. I love the storytelling element. I love to watch the way they narrate it. I love to watch the way they'll leave you with an open loop mm. for the next week. An open loop is... Um, like, did you see, uh, have you seen like the Batman versus Superman movie? No, I haven't, but okay, I've heard all of the reviews. Good. So an yeah. open loop is what I just did, which I said an open loop is that I changed the subject and you want, and that loop wasn't closed. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, meta, he's using his own tricks <laughs> right. against me in, the, in real time. But it's great to do any type of conversation that if you're trying to kind of create rapport with someone or, or build that connection, um, whether you're writing or meeting somebody, when there's still stuff left to talk about, still things unanswered. My, my next question is going to be heavy. Right. But it's going to be a while from it's gonna, I'm not going to get to it until later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's perfect, right? <laughs> Stay tuned for the heavy question from Chase Jarvis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, for those of you uh, out in the world, I- I'm going to say uh, I think part of being a journalist is asking great questions. And as someone who's sitting here as a question asker, uh, I'm going to turn the table just for a second. And if, if you were sitting in my shoes and you were going to interview Neil Strauss, what's your opening What's your opening line? What's your opening line of questioning? Not necessarily yeah. line isn't like one-liner, but what's your opening line of questioning? Yeah, no, it's funny. Whenever I'm doing an interview, the most important thing to me is the first question because that sets the tone. Like the, in the first, first question, it's important to A, show you know something about this person, okay. but you don't know so much that you're sort of like obsessive and a little scary, yeah. right? This so person's <laughs> weird. They know what color toenail polish right. I use. Yeah. Or this person's just like totally disconnected and don't care. And I'm Have, like, hasn't so done I the always, work, yeah. I always find that first question's important. So Great. Well, my first question is about well, you asking questions. Feels like a cap off to me. No. There, I know, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, one exactly. I, There you go. So my first question for myself would just be like, a, um, you know, I don't even know. Don't even yes, know you do. You, got, you, 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 you know what to ask yourself. Uh, you know, I'm so much, I mean, I'm, and <laughs> I'm so much more interested in everybody else. Like, I really mean it. Like, I don't know, I'm not curious about myself because I know myself to some degree. You know everything about you. Right, so it'd be more like I would ask you if I was interviewing you and I kind of came to discuss it. I said like, I'm curious about how you balance being an artist yourself with being, you know, a CEO. And the thing about being a, you know, a CEO and running these businesses and doing this show is that there's always stuff immediate pressing for your time, whereas the art can always wait, you know, and are you ever in danger of losing your art to the demands of business? Great. Well, that answer I will provide later in the show. Right. Keeping the loop open again. Right. Uh, let's get to the... Uh, what, do you, gonna, what do you guys think? Do you think it's a challenge for Chase, what I'm talking about? That's a nod yes. What about you? You can answer. Yeah? Yeah. Do you think it's a challenge for him or no? Do you think he's doing too much? Do you think he should like just relax a little bit and do a little less? Right, right. So it's almost like, like the way some people have heroin addiction or like an alcoholic, like he's, like, he's sort of like a intensity, work in intensity. Think, like if something's not intense, he'll find some, a new business or a new thing to fill up his time or a new project, right? I think that's, that's, that's fair. Right. Like this particular, uh, I once did a, did a this, is, uh, this is turning in about me, we're going to flip it back. <laughs> you, no, you, you just, I get you just it. Fair walked right into it. Fair enough. <laughs> you, you said fair you enough. I once did a campaign <laughs> that was 17 days, a world, uh, uh, literally went entirely circumnavigated the world, right. shooting in a different city where the Olympic marathon had been filmed right. or had been run. 
Uh, and so we did a marathon while creating a campaign about marathons. Uh, this particular, uh, the last several weeks that we've been sitting down with, uh, with you and other folks like you has been one of the most rewarding and, and of, in recent memory for me. I think it's some of the best work that Creative Live has ever done and I've ever done, so it's been very, very rewarding. Um, but I think buried in your question, uh, I'm gonna try and um, extrapolate that, has that ever been a thing for you? Has, has you know the business side ever been a thing for you? Because when, whenever we sit down, it's very much always about the writing. Right. Uh, you're working on a project, you're, um, you're becoming something in uh, a journalistic sense so that you can unearth, you've, like you live the role, is it fair to say? Would you call yourself an actor in some ways in that way? I'm not an actor, I think I go into, but I, I would say uh, I do immerse in, like I really immerse and embed, embed myself, but I don't, not, I'm never pretending, I want to do it for me. Sure. Like when I did the game with the pickup artist, I really, was lonely, <laughs> you know. So, so, uh, so my life was at stake. But yeah, your life was at stake. So there's an urgency behind your work, yeah. as there is, I think, with most creative stuff. And so the folks on the other side of this camera, um, there are two pools. And by the way, to clarify, my life wasn't at stake in the sense that if I don't have sex or a girlfriend, I'm going to die. It was more like it was important for my life. Just to clarify, <laughs> death without sex. Um, but but wait, before we move on, because you left this open loop here. Okay. Now what I'm more curious about. <laughs> I, I knew this was going to happen. I love you, it. You, you, you started. Yeah, yeah, I did. But, that's, but we want so, this to be a dynamic show. So, this is. so um, <laughs> this is what I would ask next if I, was okay. asking, if I were asking questions, All right. which I'm not. Um, how, how are your relationships? Very strong right. with the people that are very close. But to how me. about your love relationships? Strong, romantic. Yeah. Yes. Are you? Are you? Are you what's your situation now? I am married, married with yeah. no children and no right. plans for children. Right. Uh, which the humans in New York covered, and it was a very controversial thing that I said that we actively didn't want to have children. Apparently, that's a thing that right. sets people off. You're either for it or against it. They were angry about the fact that you didn't want to have children. Yeah, yeah, it was very. There's a mean, lot. Smart people like yourself should breed, by the way. I mean, that's true, but you should also be allowed to make your own choice about it. Right? Fair enough. No, I have a very, very close relationship with the uh, people that are uh, that I'm close with, right. and I think I have a lot of then associates and not a lot of people and like people that I consider my friends but that I don't right. see on a regular basis and there's a in the in-between is pretty there's a, there's a, a yawning gulf between right. those two circles. It makes sense. I think, I think a lot of people do that. Yeah when you're especially when you're busy you're only I mean I travel right. 200,000 miles but a, a What year. I was asking was like a lot of people with work addiction which we're now deciding you have. Yes. <laughs> there's laughter in the, in the, in the wings here so <laughs> so uh, you know some of it's like intimacy avoidance that's kind of what the truth is about in a way so Great. so a lot some of it's about uh, intimacy avoidance like if I work so hard, like that person is always in the office late. Yes. Even though they really could go home, they don't have to do that stuff. They just don't want to go home and deal with that. Okay, then now we're going to change the subject. <laughs> so maybe you and your wife. What, are your, what is your wife? Doing? Kate, my wife. Kate. <laughs> she's she's a producer. She's basically produced previous versions of the show for the five right. years, and and my entire photographic and director career were produced by Kate. Right. Made, it's awesome. Like literally made possible. Does she have her. other people besides you or no? You can cut all this out later, but does she have other people beside beside In you? her life? That that who, close with? In her life, who she's producing, or is it just you? Uh, no, just just uh, uh, just for our company. Right, right. It's a co-owned company. Got right? it. And how much you... <laughs> Neil, <laughs> seriously? How much... But what's your conversation about the relationship about how much you're about work? But I'm curious. I think it's a challenge. For sure. We, right. we have addressed this... Right. Uh, I feel like reasonably publicly we talk to our close friends right. about this like in a work dynamic when we're trying to change the world through the right. art that we're making and unearth and uncover and create. It's a very intense relationship uh, or it's a very intense space to operate in. Right. And someone's a shot caller and that's sort of the, 
um, Kate joined basically the company after I was, she was a teacher and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna become a photographer. I love it more than anything else in the world. She came on and then just immediately added so much value. Right. Um, but still as the artist, like the producer artist, the artist is the one saying like, I want it taller and more green. Can you, and the producer's like, okay, I'm gonna call in the green people and I'm gonna call in the tall building right. people. And so that escaping that relationship at work to go home then and to, to try and leave that dynamic at work and have a new dynamic at home was very, very hard. Yeah, for sure. And we, we spent a lot of time uh, in therapy, a lot of time talking really intimately about it. It's awesome. And, but only after we really recognized that it was a thing. Right. Um, let's talk about yeah, you. So, so, so my, my, my diagnosis, by the way, not that it matters, but I could have from two seconds of conversation. Yeah, you know, so I see it. I think it's more about intensity than about work addiction for you because you really obviously dedicated that time to you know, making sure you have a well-rounded, connected relationship, it sounds like that's awesome. I think a lot of people, by the way, a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, again, a lot of going to the people listening, is I think someone is, you know, maybe all work, or they have so many unfulfilled ambitions that they can't connect with someone else because they're always in a state of shame. I'm not living up to my potential, I'm not doing enough for myself, and that leaves them disconnected. Because I think I'm fascinated in what uh, you know, I think the creative work is important. I think all the stuff we're talking about is important, but I also think to what degree is it creative is creating and what degree is it disconnecting? What degree is it, you know, destructive to your life and your relationships and your connections? It's, it's very powerful. Brene Brown's been a guest on this show mm -hmm. before and uh, her talk about shame and vulnerability around creating and how actually vulnerability is a requirement for, for making great stuff. So true. Um, just is very powerful and resonated and we should, you know, if you haven't seen that one, you should check out that episode. It's very powerful. Um, and before I do, I've done a books with other people, like I've done a, books with rock stars and um, like collaborations and, and huge people have asked me to write their book and I'll sit down with them and I'll ask them, like, are you willing to show everything in the book, even the parts that make you look bad, the things you're not proud of, the things you don't want your wife or your husband or your children to see, are you still willing to tell those stories as they were and not worry about what other people think? And if they can't get that vulnerable, I won't do it with them because no one will make a connection with them as a human being. So vulnerability equals connection? I think honesty equals a book. <laughs> like in other words, if you're, if you're not, like why are you gonna write a book telling your life story? If you're not gonna tell your life story, if you're gonna hide probably the best parts and the most human parts, what I've found from really like putting it all out there for myself and others is the things that you're most afraid to share and tell others are probably the things you should be telling and sharing because if you're feeling it, other people feel it too and they'll find that connection. So I love that we're, we're getting full circle because this is right. going to allow me to pick up the thing that you just set down and feed it back to you, which is right. what you've just done underscores your wisdom in not just your career path, uh, but certainly what you've chosen to write about. Right. You've already disclosed that it's very personal about you. You wrote the game because you were very lonely. Right. Take me from being lonely, being a journalist, and saying, now what the fuck do I do? How do you, how do you arrive at a project like the game? Which, will you give us the subtitle of the game? Because I think those, those folks at home who don't know it will be intrigued. Yeah, it was that penetrating the secret society of pickup artists. And what does that mean? Uh, it meant that it means just there was a uh, there was a sort of secret subculture of pickup artists, not so secret anymore, I don't think, uh, that were trading kind of information online about the tips and tricks and tactics to to build attraction with the opposite sex. And um, I uh, kind of joined. An editor called me up and said, "Hey, 
you should collect all this into a how-to where you kind of go straight a how-to book. And I said, I have no interest in writing like how-to books. Uh, and then I brushed it off, but I secretly joined, not for a book, but for myself. Um, like I'd like to say it was some grand journalistic scheme playing <laughs> a, acting, like you said, uh -huh. but it was really just a guy who I was successful. I felt like I was successful in my career and I had friends, but for some reason, like every woman I liked, I would just get the, what they call the LJBF speech, let's just be friends. Time after time, I'd be like, why are you dating that jerk? I'm like a nice guy. I'd be like, I would like, you know, care about you and I want to be in a relationship with you and why are you with, always with that jerk who you're complaining about, you know? Yeah. And so I was just that guy all the time and so I thought maybe they could help me with those problems. Did you get help? Uh, more than I ever wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more than I ever imagined. I think the book's a weird journey <clears throat> and that's a great thing, like um, what I love about, you know, writing books or certain sort of verses, say, pitching a TV show or a movie sometimes is you only have to know the beginning when I do a project like that. Uh, I don't have to know where it goes, I don't have to be attached to where it goes, it might change completely. Uh, and so what happened was over the course of time I got so obsessed with it and so into it that eventually I became like voted as like the number one pickup artist in that whole weird world. So, so that somewhere between the beginning and there I'm like I gotta write about this. Was there a self-diagnosis in there that was not unlike the one you were investigating about me just a second ago where you're asking if I'm working so hard and what achievement is going to be for me is to become number one because then people can't hate me if I'm in first place? Uh, I don't think I even had a goal to be number one yeah. there. Like it's weird, I've never, I didn't apply to, when I heard the New York Times job was open I didn't apply to it or anything like that. They, like I just got a call from them. I wasn't trying to be like the number one pickup artist. That wasn't like a life goal or anything like that. Uh, I think I'm just like a, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I will tell, I mean, later we'll get to the self-diagnosis about my intimacy problems 100%. Okay. But I don't think, it, I don't know if it's a, yeah, but definitely like, think of your life goal is to become the number one pickup artist. Something is really wrong with you. Pretty thin, yeah, pretty yeah. thin. Um, so let's talk about the basis for what you, you, we talked about a second ago, vulnerability as sort of a mechanism for, or a, an avenue rather for creativity. Right. Um, and if there's something that um, you are uncomfortable with, that's probably the thing you need to face the most. Yeah, it's like, where, where are your fears? What are you scared to do? You know, what do you have guilt around? All these things contingent on them not really hurting another person. So, you know, some people feel guilt about, yeah, I was talking to someone today, and every day they text their mom, I love you, but they do it for her so she can feel good, not for them. I'm like, you've got to break the bond with your mom so you can grow up. So that's a good kind of guilt. Yes. Right? But, but they're uh, not always that kind, right? What's that? But yeah, but, but the question is, what are you afraid to do? What are you scared of? What do you feel like you're not enough for? Uh, and that's what you should be doing. And it's so easy to procrastinate on that. That's my question for you earlier, which is, there's all those pressing you know, demands of the company, the CEO, this person's hiring, that it's easy to put off some of the tough, tough stuff for yourself, and yeah. I think it's true of everybody, especially if you're kind of doing another job. Uh, the best thing about being a writer as a professional career is you have deadlines, you know, and someone breathing down your neck saying, you're gonna be fired, I'm gonna kill your contract, these consequences are gonna happen if you don't turn it in in time, and I would definitely say, like, one of the most important things for me as far as being creative is, like, having deadlines. Yeah. yeah, even at the New York Times, sometimes your deadline might be, I might write my best piece in, like, two hours versus the one I had two months to do. All right, there's so many things in there, I'm trying to put a pin in all of them. Right. Um, specifically, let's go back, one, one of the things that, a, a question that I get when I ask for questions on the show, a lot of people talk about how do I 
stand out? How do I, um, I, I, I encourage people to be different, not just better. Um, and there's, I, I feel like there is, I'll call it an epidemic of creatives in our country that don't know what to create because right. there's, what I hear and see is this gap between their personal experience and their belief of that that experience is worthy to talk about or share. Um, can you talk about that gap for me and how sure. you, you? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, yeah, I think, I think those questions get in the way of the creativity. If we're just thinking about, oh, has someone done this before, or what do I new do I have to add? Like, like all those questions get in the way of just being, doing, noticing, you know, paying attention. Even the idea of what creativity is, I got to be creative. Is, is this creative? I think all those questions uh, interfere with whatever it is you're trying to do, and, and any attachment to an outcome uh, massively interferes. So what do you do? You just make something and just don't know if it's good or just like throw it out there? Like You don't know if it's good. You really don't know if it's good. You just know that you made it, right? You know, yeah, the you, market is going to decide right. if it's good, probably. The market has no clue whether it's good or not. <laughs> right? I mean, for sure, we know popularity doesn't, it isn't, is not equivalent quality. to quality yeah so uh, so so my thought is if there I mean there are a few kinds of people right there's someone who like knows that they want to do music or want, knows they want to do artwork or cooking or I think honestly I think everything is creative uh, you know I think being a parent is creative I think everything is creative. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's underscoring our mission right there really there's a creator in all of us for that's sure great and uh, and, you know, and can you be present in the moment while you're doing it can you, I really think a lot of creativity is not the doing, but the listening and the noticing and the paying attention, just, just slow things down and let us listen and notice and pay attention and then share, you know? So I love that you said share. There's all this sort of paying attention, noticing, even making around that stuff, but I find it interesting that you said that sharing is just was a piece of that process. Right. Talk to me about that. I mean, I think, I mean, I know, like, I remember reading an essay by Marcel Duchamp who said, like, that's when the art begins is when, you know, it's shared. It can be shared with one person, it can be shared with, with, with many people. But it's like, okay, we all have our individual perception, the way we're seeing and experiencing the world. And sometimes we're struck by, like, the sense of awe or excitement. You know, maybe that was it when I found the pickup artist community or the stuff I discovered in The Truth or Emergency or any of my books. Like, there's something that excited me about that. Or even as a journalist, every article I wrote, I'm excited to share this. And, and, uh, and so that excitement or that sense of awe, how can I fill you with what I was filled with? Or how can I explain that perception to you? And also, how can I let you have your own judgment of it, not try and control you to perceive it exactly that way? Because again, some great works of art are totally different than what the creator intended, and that's okay. Because you have your own perception around it, so we're like starting a dialogue. I, I go on record regularly saying that the answers aren't out there, they're in here. Right. Um, but yet I'm not trying to usurp the sharing part of it, I'm talking right. about the looking. Right. So I'm gonna like turn that on you now. Uh, you wrote the game because you you were lonely. Right. And curious? Like what, what, what's the other part of lonely? Because lonely can translate in a lot of things. But I mean, I was, I was lonely and curious, but, but as much as that is like, oh, I found something really unique that like a story that hadn't been told before about a group of, you know, tragically, wonderfully flawed characters that hadn't been shared before either. And I just started, you know, telling it. So if you had to tell that story in a, the answer to one question, how would you, how would you 
put a bow around the game for the folks, because you should definitely read the book. And I made a very clear disclosure to my wife, like, dear honey, right. I love you to death. I'm reading this because I'm fascinated by this work of art by my right. friend Neil. And uh, just, right. there's no, no subtext here, babe. Yeah, I went to someone's house once and his wife had torn it in half. But other weird things have happened. She's like very a, strong. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do <laughs> um, not mess with that woman. She can tear a yeah. phone book in half. And like, but I've also gotten calls from like a certain government intelligence agency that gives it to all their agents to read. And they brought me over to train them. So wow. it's a weird thing. And that's the awesome thing. Like you throw a pebble in the culture and you don't know where the ripples are going to go. But the question is, you know, are you going to throw it? You know, and people get so attached to being precious. Like I see, I see a lot of art. Here's some things, here's some traps I see happen. Bring it. This is uh, like, I'm taking notes. Yeah, I see, I see a lot. Of, so I see a lot of artists get trapped in, um, they, get, they get so much worry about something. They spend so much time. If you spend too much time doing a single, you know, work, let's say, um, what happened and, and not releasing it into the world. Uh, what happens is you change, right? So the game is 10 years old now, I think about 10 years old. And I would, not only would I not write it today, but if I read it, I would probably be embarrassed by it because it's not who I am today, right? Yeah. And I've seen artists who are recording an album, and then later uh, they'll keep working on it, working on it, and they'll start to change, and they'll start recording, redoing all the songs because they've changed. Just release it because it's, it's a testament of who I was at that time. So when I'm embarrassed by the game, I will know, but I wouldn't write it now. You know, I, I see the maturities in it. Yeah, so, yeah. so to me, in some ways, I like see some of my books as they're just records of who I am at that moment in time, and they're right with the way I was thinking then. Though now I could criticize the game probably all day if I reread it. So that's that's a pretty aggressive schedule because we're dynamic mm -hmm. creatures. We're changing right. all the time. Right. Is there some sort of timeline you'd like? Like just every day, or like again, <laughs> right. we're, we're trying to right. drop interviews every day here. Right. Um, and, and 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 it's hundred percent true that if you interviewed me three years from now, mm -hmm. there might be something else that you're like excited about, a different facet of creativity, or maybe it's not creativity. Maybe we'd be talking about entrepreneurship or business. Who knows? But think about the ways you've changed. You have different mark, you know, demarcation points in your life. But no, the point is to release it before the inspiration, you know, <laughs> before that inspiration and excitement fades. It can change. It evolves over time. Uh -huh. But there's a point where you change too much when you start throwing away stuff that was perfectly good. And then the other thing that happens is the people who, um, who uh, I think, yeah, who just can't get off the starting block because they're just too precious about it. They're so worried about being judged and criticized that uh, they can't put it out there to be judged and criticized. And let me tell you something, like, the only, the worst effect is not being judged and criticized, is people having no opinion whatsoever on what you do. That's, that's death. <laughs> you know, that's creative death, is if, if you put it out and no one, be welcome judgment, welcome criticism, because you're pushing, you're pushing buttons. I, everyone I talk to who starts to get successful at something, um, they're like, oh man, I'm getting like, you know, these Twitter, look at this Twitter message I got, or look at this review I got, you know, and they start getting like really hung up on it, and, uh, and it means you're growing. That's part of the growing pains, is when you start to take off in your creative life or your business life or whatever it is, people who feel threatened will start to pull you down, and can you still keep taking off? There's an author that I consider a dear friend, a guy named Austin Kleon. He mm -hmm. wrote a, a, a book called um, Steal Like an Artist. Mm -hmm and another follow-up to that book called Show Your Work. And uh, he says very eloquently that haters are not your problem, obscurity is your problem. And to me, the, that, that is, it parallels like not right. people not having an opinion or being indifferent right. is, um, would you say that's a thing that, uh, that people grasp when they're, or when they're being precious? 
are, are they trying to perfect their work such that they will not get criticized? Because that's not really having a point of view, that's a non-point of view. Right, I think, uh, I think there's a million horrible internal dialogues that go on the inner, you know, the inner critic yes. is, a, is a monster. And by the way, the inner critic is not you. The inner critic is dad or mom or the sibling, you know, it's not you. That voice, if you stop to think about it, that voice was programmed into you and it's not you. So, uh, so the inner critic and the people who succeed are the ones who's, uh, we all have the inner critic. And again, I've interviewed all these people for Rolling Stone, I know all their fears, I know all their insecurities, but are you strong enough to silence the voice and overcome it and just do it anyway? But for sure, but there's a million different voices. It's I'm not good enough, you know, no one's gonna like me, uh, I'm not enough, uh, I'm too good and they're not gonna get me, right? There's that, <laughs> we sometimes we'll flip to the other side, right? <laughs> you know, no one, no one's gonna understand this. Uh, um, and, uh, and so there's a million of those voices and that's usually, you know, critical mom, critical dad, or absent parent, because that can lead to the feeling I'm not enough, why is that parent not around? So again, I really believe that a lot of that's early programming that has to be overcome. How do you overcome it? Uh, I mean, there's two ways. <laughs> one is you just keep proving it wrong, right? Okay. And, uh, and the other, and like, I think that's a lot of what the truth is about, is, uh, is um, it's like, one is you recognize it. First of all, you recognize what your limiting beliefs are, right? So, so what are those limiting beliefs? What are those fears? A lot of people work with that and that becomes their creative, you know, metier. I think my, my um, some of those, uh, I know a lot of artists feel like they're not good enough or their work is not good enough and they keep crafting and crafting until it gets great, but they eventually reach a point where it's, they say it's good enough, right? Can you reach that yeah. point? But uh, but yeah. So or you're tired. Yeah yeah yeah. You're just tired. <laughs> just get this thing out of here. Yeah. That's really the worst reason to to, to release it. Um, I, but I love I love the creative process. There's so many elements to it, and there's. But we'll get to that in a second. So anyway, first is can you identify the limiting beliefs? Second is can you recognize that they're not true and sort of you know disprove them? Do you think you're not enough, or um, can you re really recognize that's not your voice in your head that was a parent who just never gave you the time of day because either they weren't around or they were always working, which is probably smart, you're not having kids because the kids would, no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, he brought it back, okay. So, um, so can you recognize that A, it was something that was programmed into that's not about you, and B, can you really just at least intellectually say that it's not true? Then C is either can you accept, make friends with it and still do it anyway, uh, or can you, reprogram yourself, which you can. There's a lot of incredible, intense therapeutic processes out there. Uh, um, something called uh, post-induction therapy, EMDR, somatic experiencing. They're really cool, intense therapeutic processes that can really, they're like a exorcism of your childhood demons. Wow. Yeah. You said a second ago, the creative process, but we'll get there in a second. Let's oh, just, let's what was that? Was I, was, oh yeah, no, the fascinating stages to the creative yeah, process. Yeah, I, I'm dying to, again, what, what I, You've said so many things that are like just, I know that are hitting the target with our audience. Right. We have a, there's a whole uh, pile of people who are trying to go from zero to one, get started, it's a big right. deal, and they're trying to live their hopes and dreams, but it's challenging and scary, and you know, they have a mortgage and blah, blah, blah. There's so many amazing procrastination techniques people use. I, I, I honestly wish, like, you have a great job. I wish I could, like, go to each person who has that and, like, shake them up and be like, this is what you're, you know. So I, I was just talking to someone the other day. What they'll do is they'll choose, like, 
they'll stay, wait, they'll choose 13 projects and try and do them all at once and then they'll get none of them done. So they're always beginning something and never finishing anything, right? Then there's the person like you mentioned who's always like, I'm too busy. But if you really look at them, they just watched the making of a murder or binge watched it, you know, <laughs> that weekend. Like, I just don't buy too busy. I think you just are not, you know, managing your time. It's a lack of priority. Yeah, correctly. It's like putting that first thing first. So, um, so there's so, people have so many good, you know, unconscious strategies for not doing what they're maybe put on this planet to do. Yeah, that is literally one of, I look at it as a core mission of my life, a core for Creative Live is sort of unlocking that potential that's in every person. Yeah. Uh, and and th that's the one group is it's not getting started, zero to one, all the fear mechanisms. But the other one is the people who started, but like how do they really flourish? And for that, you know, these folks, it's the taking all the things that we just talked about, like how right. can you remove these excuses and get started? And then for the one to 10 folks, who are trying to grow? It's basically what is your inner truth? What's gonna, like? How do I have a voice? How do I recognize that voice? How do I have a style? How do I recognize style? Those right. are huge existential questions for creatives, and there really isn't resources out there. Yeah, isn't I, aren't isn't, there? There is not. Ain't. Ain't. <laughs> there ain't no resources for that. And I almost again like I'm those, sitting with a writer. Those, I gotta yeah, be those questions are strange. I don't. I just don't believe. You can say this is going to be my style. I'm going to do that because you're you're already limiting your that that very that you're already limiting yourself. So to me, you're already in a negative in a negative way. Um, no, it's fascinating. It's it's fascinating. Um, but I think that the process begins with. Um, it really begins like just what am I excited about? You know, what what like what do I get excited about? If I'm talking, we're talking about creativity now. We're both really excited. Yeah. We're excited by creativity. Like, we're both cool. leaning in. We're about to you know, touch like, foreheads like, here. Like, you know, it's make me think. Oh, how can I write a book that would maybe like shake some people up and make them like do the things that they're scared uh, to do? So, um, uh, but I think uh, there's a type of procrastination. By the way, I, I'm jumping back a little bit. Fair enough. There's a type of procrastination called perfect preparation. I would guess a lot of people are watching this. This, not to be like a, the hour you spent watching this, you could have, like think of what you could have written or painted or taken photographs. Turn this off right now, the show is now over. So I guess a lot of people who watch this is perfect preparation. Well, before I do that, I want to get all the all information the about yeah. that. And often, sometimes the best artists are the ones that have the most limited means and that na naivete and almost have a childlike approach. Uh, What's that? There's a word, that, that childlike approach. It's a Japanese word, I think. Ugh. This is so where. Someone could put in the comments or something. Yes, show notes. There's a childlike wonder. It's a one word. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So there's the procrastinate. Perfect, perfect, perfect preparers. Perfect I got to perfectly prepared before I started. I need to know everything. I need to research everything before I start. And it's like a wonderful procrastination technique because you're very, very busy. Yes. But you're not really doing it. I find that that commentary comes up in myself. But I actually, that, that is one of my, I don't, I have a lot of weaknesses that I play through or have learned to play around or bring other people into my life to help with that. But sort of the bull, bullish like start and then you'll figure it out right. thing. And I think it's actually, that's one of my, it's a, it's, it's a strength. And I, I feel like it actually comes out of ignorance. Like I'll tell myself a story that, oh yeah, that'll be easy right. just so we can get going. And then when right. you're in the mix, like even with this show, we're like, we're gonna do some crazy shit such that right. it's like, oh my God, it took five years to do 50 and we're gonna do 30 in 30 days. Like, right. frankly, it's nuts. Right. Is that, a, should, should people cultivate that thing? No, that, I think that's awesome. If you already know, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it because you already know. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so, so you not knowing, saying we're gonna do these 30, you know, I'm just gonna commit to this, sure. I'm gonna like state it, and then I'm gonna follow through on it. And it just feels good. It's kind of fun, like doing things, making things, yeah. producing it matters. And, and again, like, here's the other thing. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. It just, here's my advice. 
just choose anything. It doesn't even matter. Just choose anything. So here's an example. If you, so I wish I could almost draw it, uh, but I'll tell you what. Like, let's see. What can I use as a? We'll sure. use the back of this couch here. <laughs> this is you. Can you, are we filming that? Sure. I, I don't even know if it's going to be worthwhile, but we'll tell you this. <laughs> Try it. This is you, right? And you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do, and you just you're just sitting sitting here doing nothing. Right, this little white stain. I don't even know what it is. It's, it's Lamar Burton's back sweat. <laughs> is that his name? Lamar. Yeah. Lamar Burton. <laughs> I don't know who. It could be anyone's sweat right there. So, so that's you know, that little piece of sweat toiling and trying to decide what to do. But then just choose frigging anything. Let's just say, uh, oh, I want to be an actor. Just who cares? Maybe you don't. I don't know. Just choose one thing. So you choose one thing, and now you have a goal, right? Just choose a goal. It doesn't matter. And now maybe you're going to start going to auditions. You're going to auditions, and then wait. You got a job, but it's a voiceover work. It's a, or maybe it's on radio, you get a little radio gig, right? So now you're like, oh, radio's fun, I'm gonna be a radio host, and that's your next goal. And then, uh, then you get a call to do like a voiceover on a cartoon or something, you're, and you're like, okay, I'll be a cartoon voice. And guess what, now you're actually moving, and maybe you will end up being a, you know, the, the, the voice of whatever, you know, on the next Pixar movie or something like that. Eugene Merman is yeah, a friend. Yeah, you, he's, he's, he's the vo a voice in Bob's Burgers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Along with, uh, uh, yeah, there's so many good, uh, John H. John Benjamin, is that his name? Oh. He was also in home movies. Yeah. That's great. Anyway, uh, but the point is, like, just, just choose one thing to move toward and then the path, and then just go with the path and you'll end up somewhere. But if you st stand here trying to decide what to do, you'll still be here in a year, two years, three years, four years. Just choose something you kind of like and don't hate and then start moving toward it, and you'll find that the course and path of life will bring you exactly where you're supposed to be. Did that, did that work as a, as a, on the back of the couch? It worked beautifully. <laughs> okay. and I'll Maybe should I put a coffee stain right there to <laughs> show your destination? <laughs> There's something, I, I feel, um, I have never explained the belief that I have around that as eloquently as your couch drawing was. <laughs> right, right. The, the, but it's, I feel validated because there's this, you're, if, just think of when you are excited to pursue something and you pursue it, that energy is required for propulsion. Right. And it's okay if that changes right. because you still have propulsion. Right. And, and while you're in that moment propelling towards the thing, there is intention. Yes. And that, those like pro intention plus, intention mm -hmm. plus yeah. propulsion is to me that's what it feels like to be alive as, as specifically as a creator. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, and as an intensity addict. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what do you mean, intensity addict? Propulsion. I, do, I do not buy this. <laughs> yeah, but no, I agree. It's intention, it's propulsion, and also, uh, you know, not being, you know, because again, you might be being propelled, we're back on the couch drawing, but you might be being propelled over there, but you're like, no, I'm supposed to be an actor, and then you're going to be in resistance to where the propulsion might be le leading you. So be willing to let go of what you think your outcome is to end up where you're supposed to be. And I think you'll find if you talk to a lot of uh, people who've, who've made it in amazing ways that maybe it wasn't their intention. Maybe it was, but who knows? But get started and don't be attached to it. The truth was clearly intentional for you. No. Was it not? Every one, of, every one of my books started out with a different idea. So the game... Take me on this ride. So, so even the game we were talking about earlier, my intention, I wasn't going to be in the book. It was just going to be about profiles of the different pickup artists. And as I started writing, I'm like, oh, my story might be more interesting, is kind of interesting, and that's the best, the best uh, vehicle through which I could explain the bizarreness of that whole world and the things that are interesting about it. And so the truth was going to begin, began as a book, and it's great, just you start with one idea and you're open to changing it. Um, so the truth began as a, it was going to be about like the marriage, the institution of marriage is broken, you know, monogamy is an anachronism that was instituted by like 
you know, turned into law by the Catholic Church, Church in the ninth sure. century and what have you, and why are we still doing this? It doesn't make sense. Nothing in evolution backs it up. Very little, even the animals thought to be monogamous are really like slipping around, like, you know. <laughs> Canadian geese out here yes. are monogamous-ish. Right. right, they're socially monogamous, but not sexually monogamous as we previously believed. Uh, and so I thought, why not just be true to our nature and find the type of relationship that's natural to me? So that's how it began. But, uh, but somehow it ended up with me in sex addiction rehab <laughs> um, and, uh, and really realizing that my fear of, that I had like a massive fear of intimacy, as I was saying earlier, yeah. right? Uh, so that's where that came from. I had a massive fear of intimacy based on having a, it's called enmeshment. And it's in, when enmeshment. Enmeshment. So okay. if whatever uh, you know, sex you're attracted to, generally if you're a parent of that same sex, uh, you're, if you're a parent of that same sex growing up, um, uh, and it's really hard to diagnose, but if they um, either smothering, anxious, if for some reason you grew up taking care of their needs instead of them taking care of your needs, you'll tend to be relationship avoidant. And mm -hmm. so that became like the first little clue that set me off in this sort of like journey. So what began as a book about this, and it's all in there, all the crazy stories of experimenting with that stuff I was talking about, about non-monogamy, mm -hmm. uh, ended up um, being about, really about trauma healing. You know, like heal yourself fix yourself and then, you, then you'll know what you want, you know? And mm -hmm. just like working hard is great and being passionate is good, but are you working to get away from or to move toward? Wow, so that's how it started? Yeah. And then when did you like, here's the work mode, here's, and then when did you like look up and say, oh my gosh, I'm going yeah. in, this is, this has gone off the rails. It's great. The great, here, the great thing about art is you learn so much from your art. So, <clears throat> so what it was, I was reading the book, I was writing the book from the perspective I just said, this like thing against you know, the traditional norm. Institutions. Institutions. And, uh, and then I read it, and I would read myself on the paper, I'd be like, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> like, I'd really be like, this guy thinks he's right, but he is so messed up. Like, he doesn't even see himself, you know? And, and I was like, and so actually by reading what I was writing and reading on the page, I was able to get a better perspective on myself and move it forward. How important is community in that process that you just talked about? Because you've, you've talked about recognizing this in, on your own page. Mm -hmm. Are other people that are close to you recognizing this? Or are you having friends read your early drafts and they're saying, dude, like... Mm, yeah, good, good question. What, I, what I'll do is, uh, and I think, I kind of see, at least for writing, I see that there's a process. One is just you spitting it all out there. So with a book, I'll just write everything down. Every, maybe it's a thousand pages, who knows? I'll get everything down with no attachment, and again, I think another problem people make is they start trying to make it perfect from the first word or the first stroke or the first photograph or the first, you know, whatever it is, stir of the pot, whatever it is. Um, but I'll just get it all down there and then somewhere in that stack of, you know, pages or bites or whatever it is, somewhere in there is the book. Somewhere in there can be shaved, the book can be shaved out of it. I just know that in there somewhere is a book and I need to get it out of that vomit that vomit of words and pages. <clears throat> so then what I'll do is I'll start crafting it. So is this the creative process that you? This is my process. Okay, so yeah. we're, we're in the process and there's a community right. aspect of it. Sorry, I'm just gonna contextualize yeah, it. Step contextualize one, it. Get, mm -hmm. it out, get it out there. Put it out there. Yeah, step one is just get it all, get it all down. Are we right? sharing we're while, we're, while we're putting it out? Or, or, or we're getting it down, are we still sharing? I'm not. You're not, but yeah. some, some people do, but I'm you're not. not. I might be excited by something, be like, oh my God, read this paragraph. I might be excited to share it, but I'm not. Uh, uh, that's just, but no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Okay. <clears throat> because because if, if you really know it's really imperfect, you're wasting an opportunity for good feedback. What I mean by, by that is um, get it to the best you feel like can possibly be and then share it because you learn something you don't know about it. I'm like, 
well, this kind of sucks, and I wrote it really quickly. I'm still in the middle of it, but let me know what you think. Now you can never read it fresh again. And you're most likely going to tell me, A, what I already know, or B, just make me feel, remind me that it's shitty. <laughs> when I know it's shitty. <laughs> right? Interesting. So, so, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is interesting. Okay. So, so the process kind of is, I'll get that there, and then this, the next draft, I'll think about the reader. The first one's just to get my experience down there. The next draft, I think about the reader, and I think, what are they experiencing? How can I make this where from the first word or the first sentence they can put it down? How can I grab their attention you know, with, the, with the first sentence and start a story where they're not going to want to put it down until it's over? Um, and so that I'm really crafting it for the reader. I'm thinking, is this boring? Is this slow? Uh, does it not make sense? Does it, you know, all those kinds of things. Uh, and cutting out, maybe that was really important to me, or really important to me to communicate, but really, like, it has no place in that book. Like, there are lines, paragraphs, chapters that I love, that I feel like are really important to share, but they just don't work in the totality of the work. And that's a hard, I think that's one of the hardest mm. parts, mm. is to, you know, edit. To, yeah, or to kill your babies, as they mm-hmm. say, right? Yep. You're like, I gotta, there's, there are paragraphs I have that are so important to communicate, and I would try and shove them in each nook and cranny of the book, and they, they just don't fit. You feel like when you're reading, when I'm reading it, I would feel just a bump, and I just want it to be smooth, so I'd have to, as much as I love it, just park it. Park it. And you, can, you always have a story I tell, my, I tell myself. I'll be like, this will be good in the paper, bonuses for the paperback, or, <laughs> you know, so you can convince yourself, tell yourself some lie to allow yourself to part with it. Um, Part for, for now. Yeah, 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 exactly. It'll be an online bonus for, <laughs> for people. Um, and so, so that's the second draft. And then, uh, and, then, uh, and then when I feel like, and that's when I might start sharing it. And then I, w- I always kind of say, like, the third draft is for the haters mm. in the sense that I want to make my argument bulletproof. You know, in other words, someone might have a critique of that. Great, I want to acknowledge your critique in there and take the wind out of it. Almost like an Eminem, like Eminem and his raps, like he already has every perspective like nailed down, whatever you can critique about him, he's already done your perspective and like made fun of you for it. So I want to do that. Wow, yes. And, uh, and um, fact checking, make sure all my facts are really tight. You know, and also say, hey, so it doesn't mean I'm compromising with the haters. I might say something and say, you know what, people are gonna have a strong reaction against this. They're really gonna disagree with it. If I've done my best here, am I good with it? Yes, that may happen. I'm going to take that risk, and then because you don't want to make, you don't want to please everybody. So when you're, 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 not, you're not pleasing everybody, you're 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 being aware. You're being this, aware of everybody. Is this journalism or art? Uh, this is art. I'm talking about when I'm writing a book. I love this. This yeah. is all right. So so for example, let's just say it could be a, you know a political point of view. Let's just say I don't write political books, but let's just say you're taking a strong political stance on something. It doesn't mean, but you know that the people who have the opposite stance are going to read it. So you're not going to compromise to them and say you have that stance. But what you are going to say is all your arguments are nailed down, shut in here, and it's impenetrable, like this is the word. Wow. So you're taking that into account. Or you might say, yeah, they're gonna have that argument, I know they're gonna have that argument, and I don't care, but you're, you're, you're in it, you're in the dialogue, so it really is the art of empathy. That is, I think, the next draft is for the haters, but it, it's empathetic to consider the readers, right. both readers that are fans or neutral, and right. there's an uh, empathetic there's power in that. That yeah. resonated with me exactly when you yeah. said that. Yeah, I call it 360 degree thinking. You're thinking, well, what's the media gonna think? And again, whether they like it or not doesn't matter, but I'm thinking, what's a journalist doing this? What's someone who's read my other books gonna think? What's someone who's never read my work gonna think? What's someone who might be reading it just to tear it apart? You know, and you're just sort of like getting their perspectives. Doesn't mean you have to change anything, but you just know it and then you really feel complete. You asked about community. Yes. So, yeah. so quickly the answer on that is, um, so I do a few things. One is, and again, I'm talking specifically about books, but you can translate it to anything. You know? Sure. Uh, one is, um, at that point, I'll show, I'll make 
a number of copies and let anybody read it. They don't have to be a professional or know anything. I'll let a bunch of people read it. And this is a great process for interesting note for feedback. And then they'll all give you their feedback, right? And there's three kinds of, I think there's, let's see, a few kinds of feedback you're gonna get. We'll count it afterward, right? <laughs> One is like, I like those parts. I wanna know what people like too, because that'll help me be attached to it if maybe, and you'll show it to your editor, of course, and to the other people involved. I wanna know what people like, so maybe if a bunch of people like it, I'll be less inclined to cut it out. Uh, I wanna know what people didn't like. Um, and, uh, and if someone doesn't like it, you can make a choice. Well, I like it, I'm gonna leave it in, or yeah, I get that, I had doubts about it. But the best feedback comes, like say you give it to 20 people, and 10 people come back, one person comes back and says, I didn't like that passage, or I don't like that thing. You're like, well, I like it, I'm gonna keep it in. Um, then three or four or five or six other people say the same thing. You're like, oh, maybe I really gotta rethink that. And the best feedback comes when you disagree with someone's feedback, but you're getting it from so many people, and you think maybe there's a blind spot there. So the four things are, yes, you're right. No, I don't agree. Maybe, let me do some further research. Or no, you're wrong. But wait, everybody can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the four styles of feedback. And the final thing that I'll do is when I'm all done, I'll read it out loud to some people and just see like where, see if it really holds together. So like the overall point is this, that actually making the something out of nothing is the easy part, but the crafting it into something that you really feel great about to share is to me where a lot of the art comes in. Wow, that's awesome. So the process uh, of writing a novel is a reasonably long process, or can be, I think I, maybe I associate with long because mm -hmm. writing isn't my primary vehicle for expressing myself. Uh, how is it for you? Is it a long process to do something like that? It totally depends on the work. And it often, sometimes, by the way, it's not all fun, right? <laughs> sometimes it's like, horrible and you're like saying this, I mean, you're saying this sucks, it's the worst thing ever, no one's gonna read it, like, that's part of the process, right? You love it, then you hate it, then you love it, then you hate it, then you're not sure, and then you feel like it's good and, you know, like you've done your best and you let it go. So there's all that, uh, and it depends, some things I could write in a month, some might take me like a few years, the truth, because it was so, so personal and I was so close to myself. It took like a couple of years, two and a half years maybe, you know, probably all together like five years including research and writing. Wow. Whereas I did a book with uh, like, Marilyn Manson, and it took three months. Wow. Yeah. Let's go, uh, I'd say personal, but maybe speed round. Like, let's do some yeah. like fast-paced Q&A here. You've yeah. done, can you tell us who you've done, work, you've worked with in sort of the book writing or article or just uh, sort of a litany of names that we can familiarize? Just like literally any, any, anyone in the, just about anyone in the music world you can imagine, and a lot of people in the film world just name it like you could, yeah. I mean, I, I worked was, for Rolling Stone for like 20 years. I was, I was earlier mm -hmm. yesterday listening to super early glam rock, super early um, right. uh, Motley Crue. Yeah, yeah. So I did, yeah, the Motley Crue. Because I'm alive. Right, right. And so Motley Crue, uh, Marilyn Manson. Right. Uh, like you said, literally, anyway. So it would be a boring exercise for you to, to name some folks. Right. I, I, actually, let me put a filter on it. Work that was intriguing to you. Uh, in, the, in the music world? Uh, I mean, I love like interviewing Chuck Berry because he just kind of invented rock and roll. And like, they're, they're all fat. Like, so to really talk to Chuck Berry, like he doesn't see that he invented rock and roll. You know, I've interviewed Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Little Richard, who are the three guys at the cornerstone of rock. And again, um, and, uh, and he's like, oh, I didn't know what people are talking about when they say that. Like, well, here's how he invented it. And it goes back to our story about creativity. <clears throat> it is, uh, he would play these segregated venues. And so like the, 
the white audience, like Hillbilly, was on one side, music and the, and the no, sorry, so he said the white audience was actually into hearing the R&B, and like the African-American audience was into actually hearing some of the Hillbilly music, and he had to try to please them both. And they both wanted to hear what each other wanted to hear, so he was trying to like make a combination to make everybody happy. So, wow, so and that turned into rock and roll. Wow, yeah. so that's literally listening to your lovers and your haters. It's basically, if you look to the creative process you just described, there's a putting yourself in the shoes of the audience and trying to create something that yeah. is valuable. That's and he sees what he did as being no different than what came before him. He didn't even realize he invented it at the time. It wasn't like, ooh, we need a new sound. Let me think about it. Watch some videos on YouTube or whatever. They, <laughs> you know, whatever. Let me, let me think Let's about it. a creative life class yeah, and yeah. invent rock and roll. Yeah, let me think about it. Let me plan it out. Let me make notes. Let me discuss it with people. He's just like, I'm out here making music. These are the audiences I'm experiencing. How can I make a connection with them? Mm. And then rock and roll was born. So years and years writing in music. Um, a book for Marilyn Manson you can write in three months. Right. A book about yourself, five years. Right. Which was more valuable to you? Uh, I mean, they both, they both were like equally valuable. I learned a lot from, Manson was my first book, and so we talk a lot about storytelling and keeping it interesting, so I learned a ton about both. I definitely, Marilyn Manson was more hazardous to my health. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Then going in and living your own like therapy. Yeah, I would say like being on the road with a rock band that just got famous. Scary, scary. Live it, do it at your own risk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to over. That's uh, a different show. Yeah, it's a different show, I'm sure. Um, so let's plug into the truth then, because the truth, uh, would you call it a follow-up to the game? How, how do you, how do you uh, relate the two and talk to me about, like, go there on the truth, help me understand it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, the way I just see it was, some of my books, I just have the whole job where there's a problem in my life, and I get to solve it, and, uh, and that publicly. can become my job. Yeah, 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 so literally, Very like, publicly. so the game was dating problems, and the truth was relationship problems, and in between, I did a book called uh, emergency about what's a dangerous world, and it can be scary when you think about their countries and people who literally would love to kill you just for no because you're you and you're from this country or of this of whatever it is. There are people who want to kill you even though you've done nothing to them. It's it's a and we live with that, right? You know, like the the North Korea has nuclear weapons, right? Like you're an American, you're a fair game, right? So um, so uh, so I wrote a book about dealing with that living in this very anxious period where a small amount of people can cause a great amount of harm and how do you keep yourself safe, how do you get off the grid and all that kind of stuff. So while my books are dealing with me, a fear, they really begin in fear, right? Scared of, uh, scared, fear of women, fear of death, fear of intimacy. Wow. Funny that the fear of intimacy one was the hardest one to get over. <laughs> why is that funny actually? You tell me why that's funny. Oh, because uh, death seems like a little more absolute. Is it the the same adage that people more people are scared, are scared of public speaking than death? Yeah, yeah, they're scared of public humiliation, or just the irony that like we want to be around people, we want to be connected with people. Why is it so hard to really connect in a vulnerable, authentic? Do you put, do you way? put that? Uh, do you plant that the answer to that question in relationships and childhood and youth? I mean, what do you? Uh, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, the answer to everything is in those years because that's, your, that's the operating system you're running on. It was programmed. You had your predispositions and everything. And I even talked to geneticists. <clears throat> and they said nothing is purely genetic. Everything is turned on and off. And we're talking about behavioral stuff uh, by the environment. So of course, that's, that's, the, that's the programming. That's the operating system you're running on. 
Wow. But it's especially true of intimacy because those are your first love experiences, your first experience of you know dependence, of you know having a caregiver. For sure, like you can name. If I find out about someone's relationship, I can usually guess how they were raised. Mm. Do you make a habit? Like, can you can you go to a dinner party and not dissect somebody? Uh. <laughs> Why well, I, I get and I'll just contextualize yeah, 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 that. No, like, no. I'm getting all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm I, I struggle sometimes to watch films because I see chords and I see edits and I see uh, bad CG and I right. see or CGI and I see. Not literally green screens, but I just, I'm, I just know too much about right. the process, and sometimes I have a hard time getting through that. And I'm also anyone time I walk up to sunset. Oh, great! Don't you want to take a picture? It's like no, I'm actually trying to like live in the moment because my brain goes to like, what's the f stop that I need to be at right here? Right. Dinner party. You spent a whole career dissecting humans. Oh no, I'm totally, I'm totally like figuring everything out. <laughs> I'm like that person likes that. Wait, that person. I, I, my favorite thing at a dinner party is if like someone makes a. Or especially if it's you, if you make a bad joke and no one laughs, but that one person over there laughs, you kind of know they're into you, right? So I'm always looking at like what's happening, who's into who, what's going on, like what makes that person tick. Like it's fast, it's but it's fun and fascinating uh, to me, and it's nice. Like I don't, I don't know if that's a, I guess I don't see it as a problem because like, it's because it is about connection and understanding and humanity. Humanity, yes, and I find it fascinating. Once you start to understand these things, things aren't a mystery. Uh, James Hollis, who's this incredible Jungian psychoanalyst, so there's nothing in human behavior that's unexplainable. If you know the complex and what's at the root of it, nothing is unexplainable. You just have to understand where it's coming from. There's always a logical reason behind it. Did you, did you set out on this path to learn about yourself or to tap into your creativity? Like what was, there's just a, a huge history of introspection right. like, that I don't think or maybe rephrase that, that so many of us may be afraid to go there. Right. Um, or if it's not a fear, we tell it, or maybe it is a fear, but we mask it as something else, like a lack of yeah. interest, but interest in other people, that's what you said earlier. Right, but and by the way, and I'll give people a few clues so they can find out their own stuff if you, if you want. Uh, but yeah, for me, like, I think it came from A, having like a, uh, a mom who'd always tell me all her problems in her life when I was really young, so I'd have to really empathize and understand, like, oh, what did dad do? Like, you know, so that, that, that empathy and loss of self there. Um, you know, always being the black sheep in the family, you know, trying to figure out what did I do wrong now? <laughs> like, you know, so, so those might be the roots of it, but it's weird. Even in, <clears throat> in, like, when I was 11 years old, I wrote a book and tried to get it published and sent it to publishers. Like, I always wanted to be a writer. I think also, from maybe the black sheep never feeling understood and maybe writing was my way to have a dialogue where someone could tell me I was wrong. As, a, as an adult, do you, are you still uncovering? You've clearly done a lot of work, a lot right. of personal work. Are you still uncovering things or do you feel oh, like you... No, if, 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 go ahead, if you feel like what? <laughs> no, if you feel like what? You, you know where I'm going, so... Yeah, but anyone who feels like they're done out. is solely, is really self-deluded, you know? And it, like whatever someone says, oh, I know all that. I know everything about that. I don't need to learn anything more. I'm like, oh man, you're clearly a beginner, <laughs> right? So, uh, right? Padawan. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there's a great quote from Bob Dylan that's, uh, "I'm never arriving. I'm always becoming." You could, I bet you could drop a few music quotes on us. <laughs> yeah. If you you, you yeah. got anything else on the tip of your tongue? <laughs> that one seems appropriate to the moment. <laughs> it's very, very appropriate. So, let's get into. Or, or you know what? Here's another. Uh, I'll drop one more music quote sure. I was going to say earlier because we were talking about um, that process. And I interviewed, uh, so we're going to go from Bob Dylan to Lionel Richie. And I interviewed him. 
And he said, you know, I had this year and like everything happened. It was like I performed at the, like the Olympics for like billions of people. Like we did USA for Africa, which is like the biggest single ever. ever. Like I performed on the Grammys, like I got an Oscar, like everything happened and I finally got to the top, like the very top of the mountain that I was there. He goes, you know what was at the top? And I'm like, no, no, what was at the top? He's like, there was nothing, absolutely nothing at the top. All that was there was all the experiences you had on the way to get there. Wow. So it goes back to our couch drawing, which is like that's in there is where it all is. It's not at the destination. It's kind of a uh, strong visual. You've been climbing the mountain <laughs> right. with your ice axe, your and then you get to the top, and it's literally there's no party waiting for you. There's no right. group of cool people. Yeah, it's true. I never thought about it. if you could just take a helicopter to the top, it really wouldn't count, would it? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, let's get into you personally a little okay. bit if we can. Uh, tactics. Mm -hmm. Writing, you, you shared your process. What about, are you a daily writer? Are you a spirited binge writer when you get something? Right. You're like, or, or do you sit down in front of the computer every day? Do you like to write at home, on the road, at a coffee shop, on the beach? Just paint a picture of like, I, I want people to you know, leave this interview thinking like, ah, oh, this is how Neil works. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, big, on, I'm big on time management. <clears throat> so, for example, can I say what day it is? Will I give away the sure, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll date ourselves, sure. <laughs> no, is that, is that all right? No, absolutely. Not, not the exact date, but it's a, today's a Monday. Okay. Right? Yes, it Monday? is. Uh -huh. Yes, okay. So, basically, here's how I do it. Mondays, I do every meeting, every interview, every appointment. Everything I have to do is all on a Monday. I, I might start, today I start at like 7 a.m. I'll be done like at midnight. Then Tuesday to Sunday, nothing. My schedule is just there for writing. Right, and so I have hours blocked out and I'll just go there and I will do it. But what's important, I think, is the compartmentalization. Like, because if you just don't have any, just it's easy for stuff to bleed in and leak in and have to do that. So I really am strict about those Mondays. So one is compartmentalizing my time. Second thing, and this is good for anyone who has to be creative, uh, like the phone and the internet like will kill you. <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were kill your creativity because you're right there and you got something going and wait, oh, I got a text, right? Or like, you know, or you might do it yourself. Oh, let me check my... Twitter and see if anyone responded to that funny, funny tweet. I'm funny, so cute and funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's see if I really am cute and funny. Right. Oh, good. I got a like. I feel validated, right? So, um, so, so uh, you have to uh, create systems to protect you from your worst self. So what I do is, if I'm going to write, I give my phone to my wife. Uh, <clears throat> and she have... checks your texts for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I don't. There's nothing important coming, but she can. She has a password. Um, so. Uh, so, uh, or you can, you can actually buy a cage to put your phone in and put a timer on it. You can put your phone in there if you don't have a, a loved one or a loved one you trust with your phone, <laughs> you know, wow. or someone around you. And then I'll get a, pro there's a program called Freedom for the computer. Do you know about this? I just know of it. I have not used it. It's I'm aware of it. fantastic. It says how many minutes of freedom do you want. So my ritual is, it's, you know, Tuesday, I wake up, spend time with the baby, surf. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. It's the best thing ever. Ever. Yeah, speaking of creativity, right? So um, I'll uh, surf eat breakfast, and then bam, and then it's uninterrupted writing time. No one's allowed to come in that room. In fact, usually where I'm creative, uh, I like to just, I don't even want anyone's energy in that space. Like, I don't even like anyone coming in that room. It's like I really just, it's, uh, I think Joseph Campbell talked about having like a sacred space or something like that. Wow. So I just like it's really for me, you know, if the door is closed, no one can you kind of interrupt. My phone's in the cage or, you know, in, in my wife's mother has the phone. And then I start up freedom for however many minutes. So freedom says, how many minutes of freedom do you want? You type in whatever it is, 320 minutes, and then you cannot get on the internet for that amount of time. 
You might think, oh, I'm going to be writing something that requires research. Well, make a list of what you have to research, and then when you get online, just knock it all out. Uh, the other program that's good, is this useful? Yeah, this okay. is super useful. The other like program that's good is there's a... Matt, Matt is a freak about that stuff. He's yeah. behind the camera really? over there. He's like, oh yeah, keep it coming, keep it coming. He's taking notes. So, uh, Intego Family Protector, and what it is is, so someone might, you, you may not even have the discipline to start freedom on your computer, because you might get to your computer and be like, let me check my email before I start freedom. Let me search this, see what's happening on Google News, you know, and then link, and suddenly you're caught in the link parade. Um, so the so Intego Family Protector takes the control, it's not what it's made for, but it's what I use it for. It takes the control out of your hands. In other words, I'll give it, when I'm really on a deadline, I'll give it to my wife, I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll set it so that the only times I can get online are one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, then she sets a password for it and locks it, I don't even have the password. Wow. So no matter what I can do, I can only get, you'll be amazed. You're using a child protection <laughs> yeah, device yeah. to protect yourself from yourself. You'll be amazed by how you can get everything done in one hour, all those emails answered, you can actually do it in one hour. Like when you're, when you know you're about to at, at like whatever it's 11 p.m. You're gonna be offline. You're gonna get it all done. This is an amazing endorsement of these products. I love it. But <laughs> yeah. it's clearly coming from a real place. Right. And the real place is this: what distracts you, and what is your willpower not strong enough always to overcome? And if your willpower isn't strong enough, then what's gonna be stronger than that? You know. The cage. Right. The cage. <laughs> you know. Like literally, if I if I had to be like if I had to do I'd be willing to do anything. I'd in a room with a door locked on a timed lock. You know, with just my whatever my supplies to create in there. Great. Like li literally, like maybe that maybe that there's a message for what you're saying is like lock yourself in the room with the tools you need to create your art and nothing else. And either you'll like <laughs> either you'll fall asleep and hate yourself or you'll actually create something. Yeah. How important is the um, how important is that process to non-professional creators? We believe there's a creator in all of us. It's important. Makes no difference. It makes no difference. Yeah, it makes no difference. Like just, but the point is, choose the block of time you want to create. If you're a professional, maybe it's five days a week. If you're non-professional, maybe it's still five days a week, or maybe it's just a day. But just commit to some block of time that's just for you and your art, no matter who you are and you'll be a happier, better person for it. There is a, a program that we built at Creative Live called 28 to Make, uh -huh. and uh, you sign up and we basically put a creative prompt in your inbox every mm -hmm. morning, and it's a 90-second video, something maybe around that, and the creating can actually take as little as that amount of time. You can go as long as you want, but right. it was so powerful to just give people a prompt, and so I, I, we weren't telling them to lock themselves in a room with their cell phone in a different room or whatever, but just, the act of intentionally saying I'm going to create something every day. I, I do 10 habits every day and that's right. one of them. M make something every day. Even it, just the act of intention. It is such a powerful vehicle. It's yeah. so powerful. Yeah, it's great. It really gets that thing going. It, it is. Yeah. It, it makes me feel human. It makes me feel humble. It makes me like, hey, all of that other shit that's going on right now is, uh, it maybe has its place in this world, but come on, let's, like, let's bring it back to basics, right. which is you're here, you're on this planet, you're, you have some agency. What are you going to do with this agency? Right. That's all. What did you create today? Uh, I haven't created my. Well, this is my thing for this, today, this but I haven't creative. checked my box. Yeah. Right. On it. days where like, I look at this as a super creative act. I mean, we spent. Uh, might not look like it, but we spent a lot of time setting this little place up here. Where yes, uh, <laughs> I can tell. There's like the yeah, the, all, the, all the signs over there, and there's like the the welcoming committee. And they clearly <laughs> spent a lot of time that mac macaroni art right there. <laughs> it's actually, guys, it's it's an empty room with like one light, two lights, and three cameras. 
and like a, a mysterious person in the corner, and I can only see his like, his legs. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and like some water. <laughs> the, yeah, I look at this as a creative act, for sure, sitting down with someone and, and uh, sure. trying to, to uncover. Uh, and we started with nothing, and now we have something. Now we have something, for sure. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the tactics by which you um, write. How do you decide what to write on any given day? Um, yeah, I think it's like, I think it's kind of like, it's that, this, is, this sounds kind of macabre, but it's like the thing that if I die tomorrow, I would regret not having gotten out of me. Like, uh, like I really, um, I, talk, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Robert Green, who wrote mm -hmm. The Art of Seduction. Yeah, Robert's been on the show power. too. Yeah, yeah he's incredible. great. <clears throat> and we were talking about how when we really start a book and we get excited, like we get scared, like if we're in a plane, we're like, oh, I just don't want to die before like, I at least get my draft to someone <laughs> where the book come, can come out. So you know you're excited about what you're doing because you think, oh, I just don't want to die and, and not have this come out. I know it's a macabre thing to No, but the, the flip side of that is it's also very um, intimidating. I'm not right. going to lie. Like, wow, every day you sit down, you're doing your life's work. Right. Is, but you don't think about it like that. Okay, how do you think about it? Uh, oh, I think about it. It's more like, I think when we're like going to the, like, if you're not maybe doing something, phys a physical activity every day, you just don't feel good or centered. I know like I'm happy if I'm doing my writing. Even if the writing itself may not make me happy while I'm doing it. You know, I know that I'm happy. The act of writing. The act of writing. In aggregate. Right, and so I'll surf every day, and I might have a horrible day and not get waves, but I'm happy I got in the water and got in the ocean, the sunshine on my face, just like you with this, like, did you sit down and whatever your medium is, your medium can change, your passion yeah. can change. Like, maybe today it's writing, and, uh, you, you know, maybe it's another form of storytelling, a TV or a film, it doesn't have to be writing. What about some, something that folks, you know, mm -hmm. you, you're pretty public, what, what about, there's some things that people don't know about you. Is there anything mm -hmm. that, you would care to share that you haven't shared before? Um, such as what? Like my boxes or briefs? Like what? Like what? <laughs> no, I, ideally it would have a little more weight behind it, but uh -huh. like uh, something that people would be surprised if they knew about you. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, sure. I mean, again, by the way, I'm an, op I'm an open book because everything really, I put the things I'm most scared to say in my books. So the mo things that I've never told anyone, I somehow can put in my books. But I think a cool thing is I like, I won the, I think I had the President's Volunteer Service Award when there was a, I was writing emergency and I joined a search and rescue team and there was a train, train disaster in Chatsworth. The train was derailed a lot of injuries and so with the search and rescue team we went and, and uh, like helped help the survivors and helped the rescue teams there. So I got a President's Volunteer Service Award for that. Wow. That's probably something people wouldn't expect. For sure. Yeah. I would have no, no <laughs> Right, idea. right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, not, not, not that I disconnect you from things like that. but. Right. Um, or, or that after this, I'm going to a meeting to like help. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Context is. I love context. No, that's all right. I don't know. You know what's weird is I. After every book successful, I make a donation that's related to that book, but I never say what it is publicly. I don't know why. It feels like it takes away from sometimes the service by using it for your own. Using it for your own glory anyway. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting. After every book, I donate a certain part to, to an associated charity. So it, the game was, as we know, your exploration of that underworld of pickup artists. The truth is about uncovering things in relationships um, rather than going into your particular relationship with your wife because right. that's not something that I, I... Care about. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, <laughs> I, I care deeply about it. I care about you as a person. Um, is, is this uh, exploring two sides of something? Is that a, a theme? Like you, you go one way and then you, you understand that you were wrong all along and go the other way? 
I'm, mm -hmm. I'm interested in tension and opposites and dichotomies <coughs> and um, uh, you know, uh, we've had other folks on the show say, well, I, um, I'll just use LeVar as an example of our Burton. Yesterday was Easter. And one of the things that he learned yesterday was that he has some very different viewpoints than other people and that his just being open to those, and he's held this like, oh man, I don't want to talk about this, this, and this. And then yesterday it was like a light bulb. Oh my gosh, there's so much value in actually hearing the other side. So these, this opposite thing, you clearly have swung 180 degrees from the game to the truth. Is that a theme for you? Is that uh, a yeah, again, I don't see it as the opposite. And as soon as I say anything as a theme, I'll usually start doing something else. <clears throat> so for example, I said earlier, all my books are about, I'll find a problem in my life and then try and solve it. My next book's not about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like if it's something that starts to be a theme, then maybe it's time to... Keep time. moving? <clears throat> yeah, time to keep moving. If you say, this is what I do, maybe it's time to do something else. That's just the way I do my stuff. But, um, but no, I think like, I don't see, I see the truth as an extension of the journey of the same person. I think at a certain age, you want to date and meet people. In another age, you want to... Uh, or in the time in your life you want to be committed and have a healthy relationship. So the idea that maybe meeting and dating and hooking up uh, would be the opposite of a relationship. Maybe it's only true if you're asking questions, but in anyone's life, that's how it starts, and then you, you are in a relationship. So that, to me, seems part of the authentic journey of life. Do you use me. travel to escape or to learn? Uh, to, yeah, to learn and experience, for sure. Like, there's that uh, saying that... Um, you know, they say that uh, money can't buy happiness. I forget, a Harvard professor was talking about this. He probably has a TED talk about it. Every Harvard professor <laughs> who has something to say does, right? So I think it's uh, about how money can't buy happiness, but you can buy, but experiences can give, can lead to happiness and whatever money you can have, I always invested in experiences. Liz Gilbert talked about Eat, Pray, Love as a book she wrote, and then she gave a great talk immediately following it about she's perhaps already put the best work of her life out, and how would you ever follow that up? Did you have that same fear when you put something good out and you put the game out, it gets you so much notoriety uh, and success? I, I think that what she meant, and again, I don't know, but I think what she meant to say is, I'm scared this will be my most popular work. If she didn't think she's making better work, I, I bet she still thinks I she's think making better popular, work. I think it's popular, yeah. Right? And, and again, the well, She's is, written some incredible books since then, but right. uh, I, I really appreciated that fear and there's a lot of, she talked about it, or I don't remember if it was her, or it was derivative of that, but just the context of how we treat or think about artists in our culture, that there's so much pressure on them. But I think her, my point is she was looking at the best work as maybe already have happened, and how do you go to work every day creating something that's maybe second best. But your point, if I'm understanding correctly, is the work is not necessarily popularity and success or, or quality of the work are different things. Yeah, I hear that, and I don't know, I didn't see the talk, or, but, but I hear that as her saying, I'm afraid I just got lucky here, and this was my most popular work. And that's what I, how I hear it. And what do, I, you, what do you do in that case? Because you maybe... Every, it's, all, it's all thoughts and beliefs that you can change or can control at any point, right? It's just a thought, right? So her saying, I've already done my most successful work, I've already done my best work, is that what she said, my best work? Uh, I don't remember, but yeah. Let's say it's that. It's the same as somebody else saying, like, I'm not good enough. It's the same as somebody else saying, no one's gonna like what I have to do. It's just a, a bullshit, nonsense lie. You tell yourself, that's not healthy for you, or the work, right? You have no idea what's gonna happen tomorrow. No idea. 
You have no idea that this thing you're writing that you think is a, or doing or creating that you think is the best thing ever. You have no idea whether anyone else is going to like it. You, you operate. I'd like to say like uncertainty is a very confident place to be. You know, really, the more you can sort of let go of no, you have no idea about what's going to happen in the future. You have no idea about whether people are going to connect with it or not, and just do it and try to make it your best. You know, and put all your heart and love and care into it, and then be unattached. How how important is recreation and uh, rejuvenation and uh, the, are those things to being a powerful creator or human? Yeah, I think I really think the secret to life is balance. You know, something uh, something social, something intellectual, something creative. Uh, you know, I think being in balance, and you know, when you feel like you're in balance, you know when something's off. So I think that balance is important. And there are times when you're out of balance, right? Yes. And that's okay, and eventually you'll get back. I know when I'm on my books almost due, I might be spending 18-hour days, and I'm working really hard and not pleasant to be around and not showering. I can't imagine <laughs> what, the, what the not pleasant to be around Neil Strauss is. I can't imagine this. It, it's this. When I'm really busy, it's like a porcupine. I'll have like pr- pr- like little your, things your, like, your quills like don't out. come close because I'm going to like bristle because i got to work and, and, uh, and I want to stay in the headspace because when you're like near the end of a project, especially a book where it's 100,000 words, you want to keep straight in your head. Like I really want to keep that. I don't want any noise in there. You know, they said um, if you're interrupted while doing something creative, I'm big on no interruptions. Is that it takes you 20 minutes to get back to your flow state or whatever you're in when you're creating. Flow states. Yeah. You believe in those flow states? Uh, some people say no. Some people say yes. All I know is like, yeah, I could see. I could see yeah. for sure being in flow. I know when I'm writing, like the best stuff might just come out of my fingers that I didn't even plan to write, and it's just like uh, that's I, the most amazing stuff. I believe so yeah. deeply in the flow state, and, and you can do things, or I've personally experienced things that will get me in there and keep me in there. Right. Uh, but I, just those times where the work is effortless and time, time moves scary fast. Do you do anything? Is, is all these things that we've been talking about, like locking your phone up, all that stuff, is, is, is it that's trying it. to, yeah? That, that's what it's all about, is creating that space where you can like, struggle against that resistance and then start going. I think the hardest parts are the starting something and finishing it. Those are probably where the creative, biggest creative challenges are. Gosh, what, what am I not asking that I should? Because you- we covered you, it so much. We have covered a lot. Yeah. You're like, Whew, we're, I'm tired, man. It's foot foot up on the table time. No, uh, as someone who is a master interviewer yourself, um, journalism it clearly plays a big role. Researching your book, um, can you do a quick dissection of what's left here to talk about with Neil Strauss? Like, what? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a you can not scratch the surface of the mystery that is no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's so much, but I feel, I feel, I feel, I guess, I guess the, I guess the thing that I want to say is, uh, more and more over time I've learned that the art is, and I kind of said it earlier, is really in listening. Like it really is, like, the, we focus on the creation of what we're going to output, but it really is in like the listening and the, and the, and the paying attention with your own unique perspective on things. So it really is, like I feel like you talk about it all coming from here, it's true, but it's also the unique way you perceive and, and see the world and can you, Really listen and hear what someone's saying. You know, can you really, uh, you know, pay attention to something happening, and then, and then, can you bring it into the, you know, your cauldron and spit it out in a unique way? Like I do feel like if I had to write a book about this carpet that we're on, like I could write an interesting book about that 
carpet and find a million questions to ask about it and follow to where it came from and like what you know was was the factory where they reproduced it what was the pattern based on you know like I know nothing about carpets but they're you know but we could choose anything and we could make it interesting um, so that's it I mean I guess like I'd assume people watch this because they're struggling or they need some inspiration, inspiration guidance yeah with something and uh, and I guess my inspiration is like embrace your fears accept them and do it anyway. There is no better way to end an interview than that. I'm super grateful for your time, oh, man. man. Thanks, Thank guys. you so much for yeah. sitting down, spilling the beans. You're a master at it, and we're grateful. Awesome. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important app for you to share this also uh, subscribe via iTunes SoundCloud and or Stitcher and most definitely if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice please leave a review on iTunes that helps make our podcast more visible last place that you can check it out and and get some additional value is in my newsletter which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP that is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms so that's sort of the insider track Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.